interesting thing, the way that I prepare a sermon is I start at the text and I try and work through and understand it. And um, in that we pray that God will speak to us personally, speak to us as a church. And um, this doesn't always happen as strongly as this, but as I was been preparing for this sermon, um, there's a particular verse in this passage that God has kept saying to me, this is a verse for us as a church. And so rather than going through the sermon and then saying this, I'll tell you now and you can see whether God speaks to you too through it. It's verse 8 um, where um, the verse says this, I know your deeds, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. And so whilst we will look at the letter and we will unpack it and we'll understand what it says, um, I do think there is something there for us that God is saying to us as a church here at Brackenridge. Um, I'm leading you. Um, I know what you're doing and I've opened a door and our journey is to seek to understand what that door is and to move through it. What is the door that God is opened for us as a church? And I think that in a very practical way this happens um, those of you who might know something of my history might know that in the early 1990s I had the privilege of, of working at Mueller College down at Redcliffe and um, um, in, a, in a very special way God led me there to be on staff and to help in the very early days of the school there. And what I loved about working at Mueller College and sharing with the people of the Redcliffe, Redcliffe Christian Assembly was their story of how God had opened a door for them. You see, the Redcliffe Christian Assembly was not a particularly large church. It was tucked away in the suburbs of Redcliffe on Ashmole Road, but they had a sense that God was calling them to do something, something that would open a door for them to serve God and to make an impact in the area that they were in. And as they prayed, God birthed within them this, um, the, the idea that they would start a school, more than a school, a community centre right in the middle of the community at Redcliffe. Um, as I said, they weren't a strong church in numbers. They certainly weren't a strong church financially. But as they prayed and God reinforced that, they started to take steps of faith buying a large block of land at Redcliffe. Um, a block of land that they didn't have the money to buy, but the people in the church gave sacrificially. I know some of the families even mortgaged their houses so that they could buy that block of land. Um, as they went forward, um, they called the college Mueller College because George Mueller um, in Bristol in England um, was famous because he was a man who believed that God had called him to care for orphans and he didn't have the resources to do it. But as he prayed, God miraculously supplied all that was needed. And so working there at Mueller College and, and being part, if you like, of that and seeing how that from a human point of view... We just didn't have the resources, didn't have the finances, didn't have um, so many things, but we prayed and God provided. We pray and God opened a door and once that door was opened, nobody could shut it. I can remember some of the counsellors in the area of the time, they used to call Mueller College the miracle on the peninsula because from a human point of view, it just didn't seem possible that a small church could be led by God, step out in faith 
and see him do so many things. Today we're looking at the church at Philadelphia, not the Philadelphia in the United States where Rocky runs down the stairs or where you can buy steak and cheese, Philadelphia steak and cheese sandwiches, but the Philadelphia in Turkey. And this church in Philadelphia um, was a town of strategic importance. Um, It was strategically located on the trade routes. That's why cities grew in those days. And it seemed to be a place of commercial importance um, of both agricultural industry, famous for its grapes, and industry that built up in the city. It was a city that enjoyed a reasonable amount of prosperity and it was also a place where numbers of different gods were worshipped in that place. Gods like the god Dionysius, but there were temples to many gods. And in this city of Philadelphia, there was a small church. Um, It was of little strength, but this letter tells us it was a church with people who were genuine and had a heart after God. And they were a church that um, received considerable persecution. Um, They were persecuted economically and um, put down in the city that they were in. Um, There were groups of people who took it out of their way to try and to reduce their influence in the city. And as we look at the verses, you'll see they talk about Jews who were not Jews um, and even the Roman people. But the basis of this opposition um, came from Satan himself using these various people. And so this morning I want us to look at the verses and I actually want to unpack it verse by verse. So I'm going to start in verse 7 and we're just going to read a verse and then talk about it. Um, Previously we talked in terms of the churches, there's a pattern in which these letters are written and so I'm going to just work through that pattern as well. And so in verse 7 we read this, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. And each of these letters start with a source, and the source that they start with is that the words are spoken by Christ himself. And when we look at the verse in particular, we see that each time there is some aspect or some description of Christ that relates to this specific letter. And here in this part that we're looking at, we see here, these are the words of him, Christ, who is holy and true and holds the key of David. The word holy means separated, apart from. Um, And so Christ is like no other. Um, He is separate from humankind. In fact, he is God. And when it says that he is true, it means that everything he says is true. It means that he's genuine, authentic. Um, Jesus speaks with the authority of one who is God and who is separated from the world, um, and yet he speaks with truth. And it also says he holds the key of David. And so what happens in the, um, in the Old Testament is that we see that God promises the one to come, the Messiah will be of the house of David. And Jesus, of course, humanly was of the house of David. And so he was the Messiah who God was going to send to redeem the people and to save the world. 
And so here we see here that Christ is the source and it says what he opens no one can shut and what he shuts no one can open. And so we are going outside of the realm of human possibility and human structure and human limitations to the big picture, which is in fact the big picture of revelations itself, that God is in control and that God's purposes are not going to be thwarted, but in fact God is going to work out his purposes and he is in the process of opening up um, the way to heaven for people to come and to know him. Christ, the Lamb of God in the book of Revelations. And yet here the church is going to hear what the message is to them at Philadelphia. And we're listening too to what God's message is for us as well. So the second part in these letters, if you follow the structure, is normally the part that's called the condemnations or the failings of the church. And this is interesting, not by what it says, but what it doesn't say. You see, in five of the seven letters in the book, chapters 2 and 3 of Revelations, it says, Nevertheless, I have these things against you. But the church of Smyrna that we looked at some weeks ago, and then again the church at Philadelphia, there isn't that section there. It's encouraging to know that in the diversity of churches that not every church has problems. And that's true today as well. And here we see that this is a faithful church holding firm to what God has called them to do and there's no word there of condemnation. In fact, the words that are used by in the letter are words of commendation. The things which the church is doing well. And it says this in verse 8. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied, denied my name. You see here, the church is being commended because what they are doing is what God wants them to do. God says, I know your deeds. Um, he knows that they are of little strength. It's not a large financial, wealthy, strong church. In fact, it would seem to be a relatively small church. Their effectiveness is not because of their size. Their effectiveness is because of their commitment to God. He says, you have kept my word. You have been faithful to my word. And you have not denied my name. I am not ashamed of what you have done in my name. Here is a church small in terms of human understanding but strong in terms of spiritual understanding because they have been committed to God's word. They have continued to serve God in a way that has brought only credit and glory to God's name in the city that they live in, even though they are receiving um, persecution and challenge. And they are continuing not just to think or to be shut aside but they are actually doing what God wants them to do in the place that they are. And this is a very affirming word to the Church of Philadelphia because the Church at Philadelphia, the going is not that easy and God says to them, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. And so the church 
needs to understand that the way that they're going and the way that they are worshipping God also has a missional content that maybe yet they are not fully aware of what it is. But God is a way for them to go and if they continue to be faithful and they continue to follow God, then God will lead them through that open door and what happens will be um, amazing, not only to them but to the world as well. And so I come back to that question that I started with today and that is for us as a church here at Bracken Ridge, um, what is the door that God has opened for us here at Bracken Ridge? Many of you will know that in the last 12 months, we have had a season led by our lead pastor, Dave, to seek what God is saying to us as a church. We've talked about the vision for the church. We've talked about the values, the things which are important, how we should live, how we should serve. And as we position ourselves to be faithful to God, to remain committed to his word, as we seek to move forward and bring glory to his name, um, even though in ourselves we are not strong, we also are asking God to show us what is the door that you are opening for us at this point of time, for us to faithfully move through so that your service can continue to go. And as we look at the church at Philadelphia, this is an ongoing journey. It's not about finding out what it is and then that's all right. As they are leading up to this point, they are to continue into the future. Because when you seek to do what God calls you to do, then there will always be challenges that will come and stand up against. Not insurmountable challenges, challenges that can be overcome by faith, but challenges nonetheless. It's not a matter about finding God's will and then everything is easy. In fact, the spiritual dimension becomes more difficult. And so I'm not surprised as we read about the church in Philadelphia to read about the challenges that the church will face and is facing. Verse 9, let's read it together. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. There are people within that city who are just making it difficult at every turn. These Jews who claim to be Jews, but they are not. We came across them in the letter to the church at Smyrna as well. They weren't spiritually minded people. They were people who were interested in wealth and material gain. And they actually used their Jewish title to claim the high ground and to subjugate the Christian believers by excluding them from the, the fields of commerce and, and making them spiritual, not spiritually, physically um, destitute. In fact, in the church at Smyrna, we remember that they talked about the fact that they could hardly had enough to eat. They were so persecuted. And here God is speaking to the church at Philadelphia and saying that despite the opposition that comes, Remember this, it says, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. And sometimes in the battle it seems like it's overwhelming, but the promise is that as we move forward, that the things which seem to be wrong will be turned right, that those who oppose God's will will either be won over or will have to acknowledge that Christ is in control. And we see that the way it happens is this. It says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, 
I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. What it's saying here is that the church is called to endure patiently, to be steadfastly committed to follow. And, and as we as a church more and more walk in terms of what God wants us to go, it doesn't mean that necessarily that there will be less difficulty, less challenge. Um, in fact, there might be more. But we will also have the privilege of seeing how God will supply the needs that we have. Um, I can remember stories when I was at Mueller College um, where there were times where there wasn't even enough money to pay the staff on the weekend and everybody would get together and pray and then God would in some way or other supply the finances that were needed. Um, it'd be so easy to despair and to think, hey, we just give up here, um, it's too difficult. But when we continue to rely upon God, that's the way it worked. The stories of George Mueller in Bristol were like that too. Um, there were times in the orphanages where there were hundreds and hundreds of children and no feed to feed them. And George Mueller would sit at the table when the kids were expecting to eat and to pray and then something miraculous would happen, like the, um, the, the milk cart would break down outside the, the, um, the orphanage and the fellow would come in and say, can you use all this milk because um, otherwise it will go off. God can work marvelously when we endure patiently and we hold steadfastly to what God was saying to us. And of course, the promise in this letter is um, not just a short-term promise, but the book of Revelations is a long-term promise. And so um, it says to the church at Philadelphia, I am working in the present, and you can see God deliver in the present. But in the big picture, I am also working through history. And as a church, you can look forward to when I come again and all things will be put right. All things will be well. Um, we see, as we read on, that they are promised the victor's crown, which is talking about the big picture in Revelations. And I can just imagine that church at Philadelphia who continues to serve faithfully now but looking forward to the future joy of being in the presence of Christ. Um, and we too at Bracken Ridge should be likewise looking forward to that future joy. I can't but imagine what Revelation 7, 9 verse 12 is going to be like when we get there in person. It says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a light, loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. You know, there is a powerful sense in which the challenges lead to the, the glory that God wants to show. Um, the fact of the weakness that we have it only magnifies the credit and the glory that God gets when he works through us. And as we continue to read this passage, we see that from the, um, the, the challenges, we come to the council. What is the council to the church at Philadelphia? 
says this, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. You see, the word, um, it starts with here, it says, I am coming soon. Don't lose hope. Don't quit. Because Jesus is saying, I am coming soon. And when he says, I'm coming soon, sometimes we wonder, well, Lord, it's 2,000 years and you said you're coming soon. Well, if you look at what it says there, um, the, the, the terminology actually doesn't say in a certain number of hours or weeks or months. Um, what it actually says is that God's plans are set and there is nothing that will delay them. There is going to be no delay in terms of what God is going to do. And so we look forward to God coming and making all things right. You know, in the early church, um, one of the problems they had, like you and I do, is that we wonder, Lord, it's been so long. And so people would raise the question, um, when is the Lord going to return and make all things right? In fact, the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, um, he, he responds to that very question when he says this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting that any should perish, but everyone come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. You know, when we read the scripture, there's often more than one level of meaning. And certainly in the book of Revelations, there are some senses of God's coming and establishing his rule in, in the world that's happening now in our generation. But it's like that there is a further um, fulfillment of God's promise when he comes again into the future. And he says to those who endure patiently, for those who are faithful to his word, to those who don't bring shame upon his name, for those whose deeds are the things that God's asking him to do, um, he says these things. He says, first of all, that um, you will be... Let me find the verse. He talks about us being, firstly, the pillar in the temple. And when he says a pillar in the temple, it's, a, it's, a, it's an image or a picture that we are going to be right in the very centre of God's kingdom. Um, it talks about permanence. It talks about the fact that we are going to be very much in the centre of what he does. And it's interesting that it also talks about the, um, the writing on them. And it talks about the three different ways that he is writing on them. It talks about the fact that um, the threefold inscription, the name of his God will be written on us, the name of his city, of his own and his own new name. And it's like a threefold inscription to show how faithful God is, that he will write his name upon us, that we belong to God, that we will be citizens of the new Jerusalem and in a very special way that we'll be related to him as Christ. 
the church at Philadelphia received this message. And yet, you know, this is written not just for the church at Philadelphia, but it's written for you and for I as well. And so the last part of the verse says this, verse 13, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We're called to be like the church at Philadelphia. We are called to be a people who, though not necessarily strong, endure patiently and are faithful. We are called to ground ourselves in the word of God. We are called to continue to move forward in him. What would a Philadelphian church look like today? Well, it would probably be a suburban church. It wouldn't be necessarily a large church with lots of resources and lots of money, but it would be a church where the people in it were held together in unity and were faithful to God's word and were faithful to one another as they served him. It would be a church where people um, praised God and not only in words and in worship, but within the community, people would see a difference in people's lives that would cause them to turn their eyes to God and to praise God for what he has done. I wonder what the question is for us. As I said, I keep getting this question. What door has God opened for Brackenridge Baptist Church? What what is God calling us to do? And I haven't come today and say, and this is the answer, but God is saying to us as a people, we have to be a people expecting that God's going to open a door And when that door becomes clearer and clearer, we're going to move through together. As we've prayed, as we've asked God to show us the way forward, we also have to be prepared to move forward with that. That's the sort of church that God is calling us to be. The church or the letter of the church to Philadelphia is also a letter to the church at Brackenridge. Be faithful, follow God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Um, Father, we thank you that you didn't only write for a distant context, Lord, but you also wrote so that the church today would hear your word and do it. Father, we thank you for our church. Father, we um, realise that in the big picture of the world, we are but weak in human things. But Father, you are drawing us closer and closer to you. Father, we pray that we would be strong in our relationship with you, our relationship together. We'd be faithful to your word. Father, we will continue to bring praise and glory to you from what happens in this place and within our community. And Father, that you will show us the deeds that we are to do and to continue to do that will bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.